I'm in a series called Beyond, uh, it's simply called Beyond Doubt. It's God's wisdom concerning life's questions. It's simply birthed out of some things over the last 20 years when I started the church that people have asked me all types of questions through the years uh, about different subjects. Now, please, uh, I'm not going to get into is Bigfoot real, is UFOs real, things like that. I mean, those are important questions, sort of, but not really what I want to discuss in this series. We're going to get to some other more important things, even though I understand, you know, that those things are important to some people. But what is the wisdom of God concerning the life's questions that we have? So we're going to start, if you don't mind standing with me for our foundation scripture, it's James chapter 1, verse 5. So what does it say here as we read out loud? It says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it'll be given to him. Let's read it one more time. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You can be seated. Thank you. What does that mean? That means that God wants to give you wisdom. He wants to answer these questions that you may have, and please submit your questions to Brian.Jacobs at Metro metroplexfamilychurch.com or any kind of way of getting me the questions, whatever you want to do. Uh, I'd be glad to look at that as well as all the others I have, because I really want to take us on a journey in answering some of these questions. The first one, probably the most popular question I received, and again, there's no order to this. I'm just saying this is a main one through the years, is what about divorce and remarriage? And let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15 in the New Living Translation. But before I get to this, I want to make our position here clear at Metroplex Family Church. We believe in God's covenant plan for marriage. I mean, it's God's will to have a man and a wife come together, we believe, and, and ordained by the Lord for, for marriage itself. And uh, we understand that, again, it is a very challenging institution, marriage. I've been married going on 30 years now, and it's a work in progress. It's, it's a commitment. It's sometimes a joy. Sometimes it's a work. Sometimes it's trying to understand, you know, both sides and what's going on. However, we believe in it, and we know that God's Word is very clear about the foundation of marriage and the and the effort that it takes. But what about the problem about divorce and remarriage? Well, I understand that. And, it's, and I want to address it with this verse of scripture. It says, now watch this. If the husband or wife who isn't who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. Now again, I, I know it says talking about being a believer or an unbeliever, but let me let me clarify something. It says, in such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. What's that mean, Pastor Brian? That means there are three A's in my observation as a pastor, or three foundations to me concerning marriage and, and divorce. And um, again, we are not for it. But if there's abuse, again, if there, you know, uh, if there's adultery, and, and I hate, the fact that, you know, the abuse and adultery and abandonment are three very horrible things that happen to a person. But if there is a point of reconciliation, if, if, the, if the partner will leave the, you know, abandonment and not do that, if they will leave the adulterous affair and not do that, and of course, you know, if they'll stop the abuse, abuse can be verbal, it can be physical. Uh, that's a big top of the list deal for me personally. If those things can be dealt with and if there's hope for reconciliation, then possibly we work this out. If, if you can't get past that, what do you do? Let's go back to that verse of scripture. It says, if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. Let them move on. 
It says, in such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to peace. When you've done all that you can do, when you've tried your best to reconcile that relationship, it's best to go on. Now, again, listen, as challenging as marriage is, you just can't quit over anything, okay? You need counseling. You need to work it out if it's all possible. But those three A's are, are, are foundational for me, ladies and gentlemen, especially the, the abuse thing. And abuse is not just physically. It can be with words. And it can be, you know, when it comes to financial situations. And if that's going on, and if it's beyond counseling and beyond reconciliation, then what's it say here? It says to move on and move forward the best way you can. Now, what about remarriage, Pastor Brian? Now, <laughs> I understand and we work with people. I suggest if someone going through that, give it a little time. You know, you can't just, you know, go from one relationship to the other. I mean, you know, there needs to be some time of healing and some time of restoration, some time for identification and move on. I mean, you know, one person one time came to me, this is in the course of our church, they had been divorced for about, you know, 60 to 90 days and wanted to remarry. And I just, and asked me to do it. And I said, I just don't believe that's the right time. I believe you need to give that some time, but I'm in love. And and these were my exact words to him. You need to be healed. (laughs) You need to be emotionally healed and you need to have self-identification and move past that. And then we'll talk about the other. And uh, they went ahead and did that. And unfortunately, guess what happened to them the second time? You know what happened? There was separation, and um, the last I heard was divorce. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a process, there's a way. Hey, number two, number two, how do Christians respond to trouble in the world? This is a good one. Go to John 6, 1633. This is the Amplified Version. Listen to this. This is Jesus saying this. He said, I've told you these things so so that in me you may have perfect peace. Everybody say perfect peace. I like that. And confidence. In the world, now notice this, in the world, you will have tribulation, trials, distress, and frustration. How many of us see that? But look what it says at the bottom there. Notice those final words at the bottom. But be of good cheer, be happy, or take courage, be confident, certain, and undaunted. I'm sorry, verse 30, there you go. For I have overcome the world, I like this, I've depraved it of his power to harm you and conquered it for you. So what do we do when we, you know, when people tell us, well, what about all this happening in the world? Well, let's go to John 10, 10. John 10, 10 and the Amplified, this is where, this is the main thing that I have addressed through the years, that Satan is the author of all evil in the world, never God. Satan is the one that's killing, stealing, destroying, right? Look what it says here. The thief, everybody say the thief, and that's Satan, comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly to the full, to the overflow. So who's doing the, the killing, stealing, and destroying? The thief, which is our enemy, not God. God doesn't put cancer on people. It doesn't cause train wrecks or airplane crashes or murder. I mean, that's the enemy of our soul. But we're to respond with this identification that that is not the work of God. That is the work of the enemy. That's the work of Satan. There's a curse in this world, unfortunately. And that curse is rampant. But however, look what Jesus said there clearly. He said he has depraved that power. Notice what it says. Let's go back to John 16, I mean, to verse 33 again. In John 16, they amplified that last verse. Thank you. For I have overcome the world. Isn't that good news? That's past tense. I've overcome the world. I've deprived it of its power to, notice that phrase, harm you and conquered it for you. Say, that's me. 
That's you and I. That's the body of Christ. Now, again, that's not the world system, okay? But that's our way of living, our responding. And so even though when you cut on the news and when you see things in the news and you see bad things happening, know that God did not send that earthquake or that tsunami, but he allowed it to happen, Pastor Brian. Okay, that's question three. That is question three. What do we deal with question three? Is God in control of my life? Question three, or is God in control? All right, then. Let's look at first Colossians, I mean Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Now, this is interesting. Look at this. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and they're on the earth, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones, dominions, or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Okay, we can all agree on that. Check out verse 17, though. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. I like to say it like this. The beginning and the ending is the Lord's, but the middle is yours. Hear me. The beginning and the ending is the Lord's, and the middle is yours. Well, where is that in the Bible, Pastor Brian? I am so glad you were asking that question. You are on top of things today. You are doing great for a Sunday morning. Deuteronomy 30, 19. Look how sharp you are. <laughs> this is God speaking, not, not me, and, or not any other entity but him himself. He says, I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I have, watched this, I have set before you, before you life and what? Death, what? And cursing, therefore choose what? Life that both you and your descendants or your family may live, watch this, and, uh, well, no, that was it. That was it. Yeah, verse, that's it. Notice what it says. Choose this day, life or death, blessing or cursing, that you and your family may live. Why is God doing that? Because he's given you, a human being, the right of choice, the ability to choose. And I think that's so powerful. And when you choose to yield yourself to him, listen, and you give him control of your life, then he will exercise control in your life. But how many people don't give him control? I mean, the Bible is very clear. There are so many scriptures about trusting the Lord and not falling back to reasoning, giving ourselves to God and not, you know, trusting in our ability to do things and trying to reason things. Yes, we have a part to play. Yes, we have a place to play. But there comes a point where, you know, back to divorce and remarriage, God, is this your choice? I, there's nowhere in the Bible for it said for me exactly 30 years ago to, to marry Sheila. I mean, there's nowhere in the Bible. As a matter of fact, I was so concentrated on being single at 29 years old and enjoying being single that I said, I'm just going to serve the Lord and then I'm going to let God handle the rest. And sure enough, I was serving Jerry Savelle Ministries. We're doing crusade ministry or these events all across the nation. And I am just traveling and doing all this, working with him and Jesse DePlantis. I'm having the time of my life. And I came in on a, a late, I called, I, I actually flew in him the night before on a private jet, and I was able to get home late Saturday night, and I never missed church. I mean, you know, I, I was working, and I got in one or two o'clock in the morning. I got my sleep. I got up that morning. I went to Grace Temple Church. How many of you remember Grace Temple Church? Some of you in here, raise your hand. I went to Grace Temple Church. I had my little cup of coffee and my donut, and uh, and Ms. Lou Nickel had a Sunday school class from 9.15 to 10.15, and I went into the back, opened that back door, and I sat down in the back because, you know, I, I just wanted to be in the back and cheerlead Miss Lou, and I just loved it. I was having the time of my life. And then all of a sudden, this door on the other side of the hallway opened up at 10 15 
And I promise you before the Lord God Almighty, there was this light coming out of this room and there was this music. And uh, how can I live? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there was music coming out of that room. And I saw this woman with long, dark hair kneeling down and ministering to children. And I said to myself, that is a beautiful woman. Gorgeous and all the attributes I'd ever, I had never seen anything like that in all my life. I mean, I was awakened to be awakened. And that's how it all started. And I had to spend an entire year her chasing me and telling her, wait, wait, wait. No, nah, it was just the opposite. I was chasing her. And, uh, <laughs> but my point was is there anywhere in the Bible, Brian Jacobs, Sister Mary Sheila Moore? It's not in there. But, what the greatest thing was is I found a woman that in that classroom that day serving and ministering as unto the Lord. As a matter of fact, I didn't even talk to her that day. I went down the hallway after the, I, I, it was about four weeks later. I asked Pastor Ms. Lou Nichols. I asked other people. I happened to work with this lady at the job I was at, happened to be best friends with my future mother-in-law. And I said, do you know a Sheila Moore? Do I know a Sheila Moore? She said, yeah, I'm best friends with her mother. And then the process started. And I saw in her the love of God. I saw in her the desire I had to put my life with a person that loved God more than she loved me. And 30 years later, that's what's happened. And I'm telling you what, when you trust the Lord with these things, maybe it's not written in the Bible, but I promise you there's an outline for it. And when you find a woman, as it says in Proverbs 31, and the outline there, that loves God more than she loves her spouse, I'm telling you what, that's the one to find. And listen, I thank God for his way of doing things when it comes to life, especially in marriage. And by the way, if you make a mistake, please, if you need help, don't try to fight these things within yourself. There are too many resources available to help people with marriage, to help people with counseling, with help people with any type of addiction. It is out there. We need to help one another. That's the beauty of it. Don't do these things alone. I mean, if you need help, reach out to us. If you need wisdom, reach out. God wants to help you. That little space that I said that belongs to you, he wants to fill it with his wisdom. He's got good plans for you. You never know his plans and how great they are. I never thought that I would move to Texas of all things. I never dreamed that. But even before I knew the Lord, I was traveling on a tour bus one Saturday night or Sunday morning, excuse me, I'll never forget it. I just happened to wake up. I went down to the front of the tour bus. We were doing stadiums down here in, in, in the bottom part of the state uh, in the Houston area. And uh, I was on a tour bus and I could come in by Hughley Hospital of all things. I looked out the right window at that bus and uh, looked at that hospital, and we drove into Fort Worth because the driver said, hey, how many of you wanted to see what Fort Worth looks like? We're only going to see it for a couple of minutes. So I got out of my bunk, and I'm coming down there, and I'm looking out the window, and I'm sitting, and we drive by that hospital. Do you know the image of that hospital forever stayed in my mind? Little did I know that one year, well, six months later, I'm getting born again, and that's in 1983. And, and in 1983, in 1993, I am moving here, and guess where the first place I saw when I moved here in 1993. I drove by Hughley Hospital on my way to Crowley, the exit to Crowley to go to Jerry Swell Ministries. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> that God had ordained all that. 
I am on a tour bus with a whole bunch of guys, 16 guys in their pajamas. And uh, it's 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock in the morning. The sun's rising, and I'm seeing Hughley. You say, what's so significant about Hughley? We spent 10 years at Hughley as a church. And that's the first thing that I saw and remembered. God had a plan, but he was waiting for me to step into that plan. Oh, I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, if you'll step into that plan, I promise you, it's good. I was at Hughley yesterday walking around thinking, this is a, this is, what, a, what a great God we serve if you trust him. I mean, I was having a spiritual experience at Hughley yesterday, the fact that he is faithful. Not only did he save my soul, which was the most important thing, but he gave me a purpose, and, and I love what I'm doing. I thought I loved playing the drums, and I did, but nothing like pastoring, nothing like what I'm doing now, and I still play the drums I played yesterday. I mean, it's a great instrument. I enjoy playing the drums, but at the same time, I enjoy pastoring even more. And when I get to heaven, I may not be pastoring. I get to play drums all the time. Wait till you see God's instruments up there and drum kits. They're going to be awesome. I mean, you know, he doesn't take away the desires. He puts greater ones in you. And by the way, this life is not the only life. A hundred years from now, we're going to be doing other things. I've already asked him to let me be a part of the band up there. I mean, anyway, you say, Pastor Brown, that's silly. No, it's not silly. It's the fact that you've got to dream bigger than yourself. Trust him for where you are and learn to ask for wisdom. Hey, the next question is, this is a big one. Is tithing in the New Testament? Now, not, now, hold on, not is tithing in the Bible. The question is, is tithing in the New Testament? I got a lot of questions about that in the last couple of years. Look at Hebrews 7, uh, 8. Watch what it says here. It says, here mortal men receives tithes, but there, talking about Jesus, he receives them of whom is witness that he lives. So Jesus is the author of your tithing and your giving. However, the problem has been that most people, you know, want to argue that and, and, and when it comes to tithing. And listen, it's not about tithing 10%. It's about giving. Notice what it says here in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 7 through 8 in the Amplified. This is, this is the heart of where I am. You know, I got way past that 10% the year after I got born again. I just got into a place where I just want to honor God, not just with money, but with my life. You know, words, actions, attitudes. Look at this. It says, let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purpose in his own heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion. For God loves, he takes pleasure in, prizes above of, of other things, is unwilling to abandon or do without. Notice what this next verse says. A cheerful, joyous, prompted to it giver whose heart's in his giving. That's the way it should be. You're a giver. You just want to give. Yes, yes, I take 10% of my income and more. It's no longer 10%. You know, Lord, Lord Almighty, let's, let's go beyond 10%. It's the heart of giving. You know, it's and not just to give because it's on your, your, your taxes or whatever, too. There's plenty of things I give that never show up on my tax. It's all about this because look what it says in the next verse. God is able to make all grace. Everybody say all grace. Let's all read this together. God is able to make all grace come to you in abundance so that you're what? 
self-sufficient. Why? Because of your giving. So when I've asked that, been asked that question before, and I understand where people are coming from, because pastors have been wrong. Listen, I apologize for all the pastors that, that use Malachi verse 10, three, uh, 10 through 12 every Sunday to take up. I, I apologize for that. I had a, a, a CEO that I was with the other day. I mean, he's a, of a large company. I was meeting with him, and he was talking to me, and I, and I support his business. He's just a precious man of God. He said, I was in a church the other day. He said, I filled out a visitor card. We just visited the church because we was in that area. He said, I visited the church, got a visitor's packet. I left the church and within an hour, I got a solicitation. I gave him my cell phone. Now, this man's a CEO. I, he gave my personal cell phone number. He said, I got a solicitation from the church, not thanking me for coming, asking me for money. And he, he looked at me and he said, I just don't like that. And he, said, and he said, I know your church doesn't do that. I said, we've never sent an appeal letter. We never send a text like that. We don't do that. We teach about living to give, not, you know, that the church is in debt and needs money. You know, and that's the thing. I'm so thankful this body of believers is the reason why I can answer questions like that in peace is the fact we don't have any debt here. We operate on paying for what we have as we get it in. We don't operate in the fact that you have a mortgage and just believe God the people will give it. That's a form of bondage that pastors live in that I just don't want to live in. And, you know, some of them condemn me and say, well, your church would grow faster. You'd have larger buildings and, quote, unquote, larger campuses if you would borrow, borrow, borrow. If you borrow, 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 you're going to have high blood pressure. <laughs> if you borrow, 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 you're going to have things going on that you don't enjoy. If you borrow, 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 when there is a winter day, guess what's going to happen? You're going to freak out because nobody showed up, right? Hello? I mean, I'm just not going to do that. Listen, I may have lost some of my hair. I know when I get to heaven, I'm playing drums and I will have long hair like King David, okay? But when it comes to right now, I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm not going to endure it as a pastor. I've had too many men that I've worked with in the past that have had heart problems. Some have died. One in Mississippi that I worked with just died. He did a building program, borrowed the money, built the building, and the first day, the first week that he was to make the payment, he did not meet it. And it was Tuesday morning after they reconciled the, the giving for that Sunday. They did not have none, enough money to make the payment. And do you know what happened to him that Tuesday morning after the staff meeting? He dropped dead right there in the church office. The stress of that. I don't do that. Mm -mm. Giving is powerful. We as a church, we are beyond tithing. We don't just tithe as a church, we give as a church. And I just want to encourage you, ladies and gentlemen, listen, I, I, I love the New Testament style of giving. I love wanting to help people. I'm wanting to honor God because when you get God involved in your finances, he does some amazing things. You are sitting in amazement right here, that this building was given to us. You're sitting in amazement that our first building initiative, somebody else dedicated money to as well as all of your giving. It is still a testimony that the very place that I rode by in 1983 on a tour bus, that Hughley Hospital would allow us to be in that facility for 10 years, debt with no, no charging us, and we were to raise all that money and come over here. Isn't that an amazing story? Is it not? 
Isn't it an amazing story that I left Jerry Silva Ministries making a very decent, good, honorable income, and Sheila was pregnant? I mean, how many husbands are supposed to do that? I don't recommend that. And I went out on a January day. I took my faith and went out, and I had 12 churches. That's all I had. I multiplied that from 12 to 36. I was in 316 churches, and then I founded this church with $5,000, and here we are. And I did it all giving I mean, I was giving my way. I was to go into some churches for free and not receiving an offering. And I know I just had to tell Sheila, I promise you it's going to come. I'll never forget Pastor Harold Nichols, my pastor, being sensitive one time. He called me. He said, Brian, he said, I know you're in Peoria, Illinois right now. And he said that I just know in my heart that that church didn't help you like you needed to be helped. I said, no, sir, it didn't. But anyway, I'm going to be all right. I'm trusting God. He said, I'm trusting God, too. That's why there's $2,000. And I want to deposit in the ministry account before you get back here. <laughs> He's giving me $2,000. My point with all that is I don't, I don't recommend people to live like that. It's, it's sort of a dangerous faith. But man, when you trust God with your life and trust him with your giving, everything's going to work out just fine, I promise you. And uh, we're a product of that. Hey, let's go on to the next question. Here's, a, here's another one. Uh, and this is, this is I, I got to close with this, but it's pretty deep. Is there a real hell? Oh, yes, there is. Let's look at Revelation. People have asked me that. And uh, let's just go right in the middle of this. Watch this now. It, it talks about, it says, talking about hell itself, this is the book of Revelation, he or she shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, talking about Jesus. Notice the next verse. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Wow, that's hell. That's a horrible place. And when people bypass knowing Jesus and go to this place that God designed not for believers or Christians or, I mean, excuse me, for mankind, he designed for the Satan himself, it's terrible, is it not? Forever tormented, forever tortured in this place. And I can't imagine, you know, a person that passes this life and going to that, and then the judgment happens to that person. I mean, it's horrible. And that's why I encourage every person that we are and we can reach, reach out to, to make sure people know Jesus as the Lord. Don't ever be ashamed to present this because this life is not the only one. I mean, I never hear people all the time, well, I hope they're resting in peace. Well, no, they're not. If they didn't know the Lord, they're not resting any kind of peace. This is a serious thing. And by the way, only other than Jesus and, you know, a handful of people that's come back, you know, Moses and, and others that, you know, well, not Moses, but, you know, Jesus is a resurrected Savior. Nobody's defied death and lived to come back, okay? I mean, you know, once it's over, it's over with. But hell is a very real place. Some say, and I believe this, and again, this is just an opinion here on this question. Some say that hell is in the earth. I believe it is. I believe it's below us. I believe heaven is above us, and I believe hell is below us. I believe it's in the far center of the bottom of the earth. Have you ever seen those um, stuff with the National Ge Ge Geographic where they've taken those microphones and put them all the way to the bottom? And again, this is just scientific studies, and they said that there are sounds of people screaming way down there. I... I'm leaving that up to you, but I believe hell's a real place physically. And by the way, that's not the lake of fire. That's just hell. 
Because the white throne judgment, every believer will stand before God and give an account of their life, and then they will be taken to the lake of fire. That's just hell itself, as Jesus referred to in his own life and ministry. And it's a serious thing. It's nothing to play around with. You know, I went back after I was born again, and every guy that I was a musician with, I presented the gospel to every single one of them. Some of them rejected me at the time, but I made sure that the guys I was running with the devil with, basically before Christianity, I wouldn't let them know I was not only born again, but I wouldn't let them know that, hey, they need to be born again too. And uh, I did my best to witness to all of them. I did. As a matter of fact, I had a list, and I went through every single one of them because I, I had a revelation, not just because I was in a Southern Baptist church, but I had a revelation that hell was real and that, you know, this life is not the only life there is. And I want to live my life to the Lord, and I want to have the blessing of God, and I want to be experiencing the goodness of God. But again, this life is not just the only life there is. There is eternal life. And uh, it's, it's a serious thing. And we as Christians, even though somebody, you know, can bid in our face and they can reject us. I mean, I've had some people reject me and just spit in my face, basically, you know, and say, I don't believe that. And I've had people come back, especially people I went to school with, because time has proven to them that this was not a religion to me, but a relationship. It's a real thing with me, with God and, and me. It's, it's a walk with God. It's knowing Him and that His wisdom and these questions that you may have and I have are, there's answers, ladies and gentlemen. If you'll give me the answer, if you'll give me the questions, I promise you I'll do my, my best to seek the answers. I know that these are different subjects and we've got several other subjects that I, I've got about 19 to 20, 22 questions that I know that you have asked me through the years and I, I want to address every single one of those, uh, you know, within reason and it's an opinion and a platform. But again, I want to encourage you to seek first the kingdom of God. Ask him about these situations. I promise he'll give you an answer.